We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. And if you missed the fourth GOP debate, unlike the first three, you actually missed a really good debate. This was, I think, the most fiery debate. It definitely had the most clash. There were only four candidates on the stage. Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Chris Christie. And the moderators uh, were Megyn Kelly and then two other women. It was hosted on News Nation. I watched on Rumble. Very interesting that Rumble, the live stream, actually glitched the one moment and just for the duration that Megyn Kelly was asking the questions about COVID response. Uh, So, you know, take that for for what it's worth. But if you were watching on Rumble and you missed uh, Governor DeSantis's response on needing a reckoning on COVID, you absolutely have to listen to this. This is Cut 7. We need a reckoning for what this government did during COVID-19. That includes the MNRA shots. They put it out. It was experimental. People wanted it. Then the government started trying to mandate it to say you don't have a right to put food on your table if you don't take an MNRA shot that was under emergency use. They tried to uh, take nurses away. Now, in Florida, we blocked that. We provided protections for everybody so that they wouldn't lose their job. You also have the FDA approving an MNRA shot for six-month-old babies. There was no data to support that. They're doing it because big pharma will make money. So I'm going to go in there, CDC, NIH, FDA. We're going to clean house. There's going to be a reckoning because right now nobody's been held accountable for any of the damage. And they're going to try to do it again. When I'm president, this will never happen to our country ever again. Thank you. That was a solid, solid response. And every candidate. I don't care what party you're from and I don't care who anybody supports who's listening to this show. That needs to be the response on COVID. The fact that the government thought that it could mandate an experimental vaccine and then just fast track it and say, okay, now the FDA approves it, even though we haven't done any of this kind of testing and you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your livelihood. um, You're going to lose other benefits if you don't take it. And we are going to compel you to forcibly inject yourself with this experimental thing that you don't even want. And we think that in this country, the government has the right to do that is shameful. There does need to be a reckoning. That was just one of Governor DeSantis's best responses. And I think that he was the clear and and runaway winner. Um, obviously, I do support Governor DeSantis and everyone listening knows that. But I also have uh, been critical of him when I thought criticism was warranted. And I try to be 
um, as objective as possible in terms of just looking at how uh, he could have performed, how other candidates could uh, perform. And often I get a lot of uh, the, the pushback when I actually laud other people on stage. Like, for example, I thought Vivek Ramaswamy uh, spoke very uncomfortable truth last night. I thought he did a phenomenal job as usual. He he's an excellent speaker. And so then people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're flip-flopping back and forth and you're supporting too many people. And I'm going, no, I'm just saying I'm happy when the people who are running as conservatives actually sound like conservatives. And I will give them props for that. And I will say I like uh, what you do because we don't know who the winner of the GOP primary is going to be right now. We don't know who is going to eventually face whoever the Democrats put up. And so even though we can all have different opinions over who the best uh, conservative candidate should be, we should hope that everybody running under a conservative ticket is actually genuinely conservative. And There was one candidate in particular on stage last night that just got absolutely crushed and destroyed for not really being a conservative, and that was Nikki Haley. And uh, this was just a a phenomenal takedown (laughs) from Vivek Ramaswamy uh, for Nikki Haley on Ukraine and not even knowing the provinces of Ukraine when she had just given this response about how, yes, America should f- continue to fund Ukraine and we need to go in there and we need to make sure that Ukraine wins. And she's giving all of these sort of talking points platitudes. Vivek responded with fire and called her out and said, you don't even know what you're talking about. This was absolutely epic. I thought it was one of the best moments of the night. This is cut one. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to know that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And there's her puppet masters right there, the donors. The donors right there that are playing her like the puppet masters. This was just absolutely brutal. And I know that everyone who's listening to this is listening just the audio version. Go back and look at Nikki Haley's expression when they do the split screen and Vivek Ramaswamy is calling her. If she actually knew, that would be the moment when you jump in and you give the names of like five provinces of Ukraine, if if you actually know it, so that she could have easily just shut him down. But she sat there and and got this real like like genuinely embarrassed look on her face. I'm convinced she doesn't know. And and she might be 
looking it up or having her staff tweet it out later. I don't think she's even responded to that. And and when she was asked if she wants to respond to a few of the things that Vivek was calling her out on, she just said, oh, it, that's not even worth a response. That's when you know that she doesn't have a response because that's the whole point of a debate is to have that kind of clash and to respond with substance. And so Chris Christie had to jump in and you heard him in the last few moments of that clip trying to kind of jump in and go, just enough, enough. And he jumped in and said, I've known Nikki Haley for 12 years and you're just trying to bash your character and all this other stuff. But he didn't give any of the names. And so Vivek jumped right back in and said, okay, what we learned from that lengthy answer is that Chris Christie doesn't know either. And and it was a beautiful moment to say, we need to as voters and as conservatives really genuinely look for the substance over just the rhetoric. Because when you have candidates who, and, and right now, you know, everybody's saying that, that Trump is, you know, 40, 60 points ahead, you know, whatever. I, I never believe the polls. I never believe them in uh, any prior election. And clearly no one should have believed them in 2016. And yet, Everybody on the Trump camp side keeps touting these polls as if that actually matters. I think that polls are a bandwagon fallacy. It's trying to say, look, he's so far ahead, nobody can possibly catch him. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what can change. I think a lot has changed. I think a lot of people are genuinely looking for a different alternative uh, to Donald Trump. They're concerned for a variety of reasons. I also think that Governor DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy are doing incredibly well. Um, I think that last night was the best debate that Ron DeSantis had. And you're seeing uh, the base of conservative Americans who genuinely want change in this country and not to go backwards in terms of let's get back to the Constitution. A lot of the the conservative rhetoric sometimes sounds like we want to go back to the past. We want to get back to the founding principles of of America. And and Governor DeSantis said that so well in his closing when he said that the point and, and the centerpiece of American government needs to be the Constitution. And I thought that he said that so incredibly well when he said all of this comes down to the U.S. Constitution, making sure we follow the principles of limited government. That's what conservatives genuinely want in this country. And we need to get past all of the particular clash in terms of, you know, everybody's going to have their opinion because it's almost like a sporting event when we watch these debates because everybody goes in with a bias. I go in with a bias, right? Like I want the people that I support to do well, but overall we should want our entire team if we are to do and we should want to kind of flush out or and flush out those who don't genuinely have a conservative position so that they don't eventually get the nomination. And I would now, especially after last night, and even prior to last night, but especially after last night, put Nikki Haley squarely in that category. And she has gotten a lot of uh, pushback against the, the Koch brothers and, and, and a lot of these um, other establishment organizations that have been funding her. Um, and, you know, funds, sometimes you're tied to that as a candidate. Not always the case, but really it comes down to policy. And she just did not have good policy. And DeSantis absolutely took her down 
on the clash over transgender issues and the clash over bathroom bills. And this is cut four. Listen to this. And this shows how hypocritical Ron continues to be. When he was running for governor and they asked him about that, he said he didn't think bathroom bills were a good use of his time. You can go look that up. I signed a bathroom bill in Florida, so that's obviously not true. (laughs) So the idea that you would say... That I, I was signed against it, you that. didn't. You killed it, I signed it. I we stood didn't. up for little girls, you didn't do it. And there was this going on. I was actually just in South Carolina. Some of the legislators told me at the time there were boys going into the girls. That's the there whole reason not. why they no, did no, it. No, 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 no. And so they say when she does that explanation that that doesn't hold water. And this is the upstate of South Carolina. Ron, I signed the bill. I protected the girls. Do you know girls. South Carolinians? She did not do, do you it. Know I know South Carolinians? That. Because South Carolinians... See, and that's how you respond in actual real time to calling out lies of your opponent when he says, I signed it, you didn't. I stood up for little girls. I protected little girls. You didn't. And Governor DeSantis also said this. That was, I think, his best moment. And again, he had so many. But one of the best moments of the night talking about the transgender issues and the uh, the, the minor surgeries for kids. And when Nikki Haley had been asked a question about why she previously said, well, it, it should be up to parents and categorizes castrating children under the auspices of parental rights. This is what Governor DeSantis had to say. This is cut sex. As a parent, you do not have the right to abuse your kids. This is cutting off their genitals. This is mutilating these minors. These are irreversible procedures. Uh, and this is something that other countries in Europe, like Sweden, once they started doing it, they saw it did incalculable damage. They've shut it down. I signed legislation in Florida banning the mutilation of minors because it is wrong. We cannot allow this to happen in this country. And, and I know Chris disagrees with me, and I think he has an honest position. Uh, Nikki disagrees with me. She opposes the bill that we did to ban that. She said law shouldn't get involved not. with it. You said the law shouldn't get involved with it. She also, though, I think, and this is flows from what she did as governor of South Carolina, you know, they had a bill to try to say that men shouldn't go into girls' bathrooms. And she killed that bill, and she bragged that she killed that bill. Even to this day, she bragged that. I don't think men should be going into little girls' bathrooms. I think it's wrong, and I think we have every right to protect them from that. That was a great response. And so my debate recap, and we're going to be talking about this more on the next segment with our good friend Steve Dace. But the debate recap that I posted was Ron DeSantis was the clear and runaway winner. The GOP could not ask for a better, more solid conservative candidate who understands and implements and racks up wins. Vivek Ramaswamy spoke uncomfortable truth. Nikki Haley was absolutely crushed and destroyed. Uh, Chris Christie rightly called out Donald Trump for running a campaign on retribution, but while he himself is running a campaign on retribution against Donald Trump. So we'll be right back with more debate analysis here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We 
We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. There's no mystery to what he wants to do. He started off his campaign by saying, I am your retribution. Eight years ago, he said, I am your voice. This is an angry, bitter man who now wants to be back as president because he wants to exact retribution on anyone who has disagreed with him, anyone who has tried to hold him to account for his own conduct. And every one of these policies that he's talking about are about pursuing a plan of retribution. That was Chris Christie on Donald Trump, who did not make an appearance in the fourth debate, as he has not in uh, any of the three prior debates. So joining me now for more analysis and his take is our good friend Steve Dace, host of the Blaze TV, very popular show and the executive producer of the Nefarious movie. And most importantly, a very sincere and dedicated conservative Christian who aligns with values voters and rightly consistently points out that we need to get back to the biblical worldview of American government. So Steve, um, you know, you, you and I were kind of going back and forth on social media and some other stuff uh, watching this debate last night your overall thoughts on winners losers and the strongest moments i think the big winner is the republican base uh jenna i think that news nation really for the first time provided a format that made sure the questions got asked the base cares about and then it and then it permitted and megan kelly i thought really helped to spearhead this it permitted an environment the Republican Party does everything it can possibly do to avoid. If you go back to the family leadership summit we had here in Iowa in July, Tucker Carlson was given an opportunity to, to directly question the candidates from the right. The GOP does not like its candidates critique from the right, because a lot of times the people that it would prefer wins fall apart. They can't handle it because um, they're really um, they, they may come out from us, but they're not of us. Uh, and so in this case, uh, Megan indirectly, by the framing of the questions uh, as the spearhead moderator, permitted that to occur. Almost all of the conversation last night was from the right. You were either speaking from the right or being critiqued from the right. And I think that finally we got a conversation that I think much of the base wanted to have on a lot of these issues. And not surprisingly, the uh, bacon DeSantis shined in that environment. It was tailor-made for them. Not surprisingly, Nikki Haley, who you know is a skilled politician and coming from South Carolina, 
knows how to speak some level of conservative ease when it's on shallow talking points. But the minute she stopped talking and other people started talking to her and about her, she completely collapsed. She could not hold up to any level of vetting or scrutiny on any level whatsoever. And at one point, basically kind of just gave up. And the so-called strong woman in the race needed Chris Christie, the big strong man there, to come to her aid at the end. Uh, very, um, um, I am woman, hear me roar. And I think that's a service, frankly, to, to all right-leaning voters, was to end this fascination with her. I just never took her seriously because I'm on the ground in Iowa, and I don't take her organizational presence seriously. But it's clear, at least uh, you know, on, on a high, higher level, she was having some kind of moment here now uh, as the Kasich Rubio uh, wing of the party kind of was starting to come together behind her. And from my perspective as a DeSantis guy, what, what, what needed to happen is the Rubio part of that coalition that actually does have some real conservative principles needed to be detached from Haley to see that she really has none and leaving her with just the Kasich wing of the party. And I think that absolutely occurred last night. It was a dreadful night for her. And therefore, if you're any form of a conservative MAGA, America first Christian voter, a good night for you. Yeah, I think that's a really great analysis that gets to the heart of why this debate, to me, was the best out of the four. And I loved that that Megyn Kelly and the other moderators allowed a little bit of that back and forth that you don't see on some of the other debates where the the candidates were able to directly question each other and to, and to push back and and when Vivek Ramaswamy actually called out Nikki Haley and said you don't even know the three provinces in Ukraine that you want to send right. our sons and daughters right. to she had no response and it was so clearly evident and then the other great moment he held up that notepad that said here's my notes Nikki Haley equals corruption and it, and it was yeah. a an amazing takedown Totally agree. Uh, I think that both in, in, in the issues that are their particular wheelhouse at this moment in their in their evolutions as candidates. Um, and, and when you look at the, the broader issues about the so-called, uh, whether we want to call it the swamp, the deep state, whatever the nomenclature of the moment for it is, um, you know, this is uh, this is right in Vivek's wheelhouse. And as a millennial who has really no generational nostalgic tie to any of that era of Americana whatsoever, and was kind of born into a country where, in his generation's perspective, those sorts of elements are why they may not have a future. He absolutely destroyed Nikki on that. I mean, I literally cheered him from my chair when he was when he was taking her down on Ukraine, as you pointed out. And then, if you are your more traditional, um, you know, boomer Gen Xer um, conservative from the that you know, either grew up in the Reagan era or heard about it from your parents and grandparents. Um, as you were as you were growing up, the broader themes of Western civilization uh, and its and its understanding of the world, which is basically, you know, Western civilization is essentially a euphemism for a biblical worldview uh, and, it, and, a, and, a, and a governmental manifestation of that or a societal manifestation of that. I mean, I think on those broader themes, Ron DeSantis shined. I mean, when he looked at her and said, hey, I signed the bills that you wouldn't. Uh, particularly on defending uh, women uh, and you know banning gender mutilation, really she looked, she he completely ended her. I think one maybe the most underrated moment of last night, though Jenna, is when when DeSantis talked about the broader problems of mass migration that Europe Western civilization is essentially mass migrating its way out of a civilization by importing worldviews that are hostile to its traditions and its heritage. 
That is the first time I think I have ever heard a national candidate say that on a national stage. You know, Trump obviously uh, uh, breached a lot of seals on immigration, particularly as he was talking, though, about Mexico and the kinds of people that were coming across our southern border. But this is the first time I can remember somebody on a national stage talking about the broader implications of just mass migration in total of any form, legal or illegal, when you're importing a bunch of worldviews that are anathema to your own, as we just saw what happened in Ireland here a couple of weeks back. So I thought that was a very underrated moment uh, in this debate. And I think that also speaks to the environment crafted by Megan and the moderators, that it was that it was sort of an, it, it was not a no go so, zone to actually go there. And Megan, you know, we've had four debates. This is the first time Operation Warp Speed was actually addressed formally as a question in the debate, which just goes to show that a lot of this has either been, you know, I was at the NBC debate in Miami. It was very professionally done. They did a good job, but it was from their vantage point, which is what the RNC wants. The other debates, the Fox debate at the Reagan Library was a complete crap show because Fox thinks it's, its role is to control the Republican base and dictate who its candidates are going to be. In this case, we just had an actual debate. So well said. And, you know, Fox is uh, pretty much the the press room of the RNC. So they're going to only frame those questions that uh, Ronna McDaniel prefers and, and the overall scope of the Republican Party. And, and and I think you're right, absolutely, that Governor DeSantis's responses went to worldview and went to the foundation of the American Constitution. And you saw that in his closing as well when he talked about uh, what his administration would look like, where he would draw from in terms of former presidents. And also when he said that the Constitution needs to be the centerpiece of American government, he understands all of these policy issues. Every single topic, what I thought he did so brilliantly last night was to bring all of those back to worldview and to Western civilization, but also to mm-hmm. American a foundation under the the Constitution. And he did that really, really well in his closing. And I thought that contrast between him and, say, Nikki Haley, and even Chris Christie, who's just running on retribution against Donald Trump, which, you know, he had some quips and some one-liners that maybe were helpful, but uh, but really didn't get to his own viewpoints. And Nikki Haley's viewpoint and worldview was very clear. So when we had this conversation, particularly about the reckoning on COVID, how important do you think it should be and maybe is for voters, especially coming up with the Iowa caucus only six six weeks away, that Donald Trump was not on that stage answering for his own Operation Warp Speed and his own administrative response on COVID? Well, there's two things you want you 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 talked about there. I want to address. Let's talk about the second one first, because that'll be the quicker response. I think that is one of the main reasons that this is a race in Iowa. And you know, I, I've gone through on my show many times as someone who has done professional polling, how the methodologies of many of these polls just don't they don't stand up to the scrutiny of the natural laws of mathematics, let alone political science. But I, I do think they probably have it. They do probably articulate a general mood. Trump has some kind of a comfortable lead here not insurmountable. Um, DeSantis is the clear second, and he needed to make sure he could consolidate that a majority of Republican caucus voters in Iowa do not want Trump as the nominee. And so you've got to make sure you don't split that lane so that Trump wins with, say, 38 or 42 percent by plurality. And so the last month or so that DeSantis has had has gone a long way towards that, from the Reynolds endorsement, the Vanderplas endorsement, what he did to Gavin Newsom last week, 
uh, and now this performance. And so these last 39 days in Iowa, I think, are going to be very fun here now down the stretch. As to your, the first point you made, you know I love my biblical analogies. DeSantis is basically a King Josiah-like figure. And if you know that story, he was probably the last great king of Israel. A, uh, you know, the prophet Hilkiah comes to him as he's cleaning out the temple and says, hey, I found this, uh, this thing we've been ignoring for the last generation or two, and it's the Bible. And according to rabbinic tradition, it's the book of Deuteronomy that he finds. And this leads to great revival when they realize they're not doing what they were founded to do as a nation. And that's kind of what DeSantis represents in a, in a civic sense, in an Americana sense, when he's talking about restoring the Constitution as the centerpiece of our social compact, that's very much what Josiah was talking about in his time when he led a revival of Israel. And that's what DeSantis is trying to lead in his own way, is an American revival. The advantage that Josiah has is he is king. And so if his heart can be reached, then he can, on his own, unilaterally act in a way that reaches the heart of the people. And he led a great revival. He was the last king to go into the high places and even tore down the Asherah poles. Well, in this case, we don't have kings. And so DeSantis has to do this as president. And you're up against two difficult, you know, the reality is if we were, if we as a people were capable of instantly responding to what he is pointing out, he wouldn't have to be pointing it out. He has to point it out because we're not. We've departed from that. We're like the people of Israel in Josiah's time. And then there's this other pull of gravity here, which is I feel like I can't abandon Trump because of the persecution and the lawfare they're doing to him, even if it means we lose another election that we can't possibly afford to lose. And so he's always had this difficulty of, of, of figuring out what is that message that gets that across, that, 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 that threads that needle. And it takes time. You know, I watched Trump closely in his first run. Why? Because I was one of the first people he ever offered a job to. I mean, he came and, he came and tried to recruit me when most people thought he was not even going to run. Then I was a strategist on the campaign that went head-to-head against him. And it, was, it took six months for Trump to craft the MAGA message that made him a force of nature. We're over about six months into the DeSantis campaign now, and now he has settled in. He has found his rhythm. He has figured out his, 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 you know, his message and how to articulate it. And he's had a, you know, a string of big hits here in the last month. What we need to find out now, and, and Iowa is the only place that matters right now. It's its own self-contained incubator. Opinions of people who are polled in Wyoming, California, even where you are in Mississippi, there at the FR, are irrelevant. The only opinions that matter are the around 200,000 Iowans that are going to go to the polls here in 39 days. And what we need to find out now, these final 39 days, is how many of those people are truly still undecided and, and, and movable, because DeSantis does now have the message. He's always had the organization to move them. And so I think this is going to be very fun and very interesting down the stretch. You can see Trump is reinvesting in our state uh, financially after ignoring it for many, many months. I think on the other side there, they clearly sense that there's a consolidating going on behind DeSantis in the non-Trump lane. So, you know, I've always just wanted these two guys, who I think are both alphas and both titans in their own way, I've always wanted us this whole year to have an environment where we put them in a steel cage match, let them duke it out, and if King David, if, if David is still too small to wear Saul's armor, then we go with Saul. But that would create the best nominee for the time in which we have. We've been denied that environment for several reasons. Some of it's Trump's fault. Some of it, a lot of it, the fault of those who are trying to basically end his family and put him in prison. But now we're, we're I think we're going to finally get that environment here, sort of, in these last 39 days. These two guys here in Iowa are going to really go at it on the campaign trail. 
And I think that's excellent analysis, Steve. And and yet you see a lot of people who are Trump supporters saying, you know, this is over, this is done. We don't even want to have this conversation because look yeah, at the polls the thing, and that's all that they say. When, when, when you go yeah. from count every vote they stole the election to don't count the votes, you're not helping yourself with that. Get out of here with that. All right. That's that's weak. And, you know, that's that kind of just feeds what, you know, everything Chris Christie doesn't like about Trump is almost everything about him. I do. Okay. I just don't think (laughs) Trump will actually, I don't think Trump will get angry. I don't think he'll get vengeful. I don't think he'll be retributive. We saw all that. I I watched him surrender his presidency to Anthony Fauci and thus the country and and hide from George Floyd protesters rather than sending the military out to get rid of these people and do it and do what must be done. I, I watched him govern while Chaz was created. I don't think he'll do this stuff that Christie talks about. But when you're when 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 you and your and your and your and your spokespeople go out there and say things like, let's end this before people vote, understand you're you you are actually feeding the narrative against you that kills you with a lot of independent voters that you're gonna need later in a general election. Don't do stuff like that. Just win. Yeah, absolutely. And to say somehow that we should have this kind of coronation or that the polls dictate who wins, I mean, that was the exact inverse argument that everybody said when they, in the aftermath of 2020, when they were saying, well, it's mm-hmm. not the news media, it's not the polls that determine the winner, it's the actual votes. And so you're absolutely right that they're undermining everything that the hopefully every American and conservative stands for, which is election integrity, to say that we need to have a free and fair primary as well. And to to condemn Governor DeSantis as some kind of traitor to say that he's running in this election is absolutely antithetical to our process and to basic rational thought. I mean, I think that that is the worst possible argument. There's some good arguments. And there are people that I know that are very sincere, dedicated Christian conservatives that support Trump. And that's fine. Support him if he's your preferred candidate, but have actual reasons, not just this, well, DeSantis is disloyal. It's not his time. He's down by 50 points. None of those arguments are actually meritorious. And that's also, Steve Dace, what I don't like to see as well. I want to see us all have a healthy primary, not all of these personal attacks. And what we saw from the debate stage last night, I genuinely wish that Donald Trump had been on that debate stage because I would have loved to hear his responses to some of those questions about uh, the the uh, genital mutilation, the bathroom bills, LGBT stuff, the COVID response, a mass migration. I mean, all of this stuff, I'd love to know his positions, not just his rally rhetoric, but really appreciate uh, Steve Dace. As always, your comments and your commentary. We'll look forward to Iowa and having you on again soon as we get closer. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Finally, some good news. Because of you, Preborn has rescued over 44,000 babies this year alone. Right now, thousands of mothers are awaiting birth of their precious babies, and thousands upon thousands of babies are taking their first breath. Since its beginnings, Preborn's Networks of Clinics has rescued over 270,000 babies. That is a miracle. 
The overturning of Roe versus Wade only made the left more ravenous for the blood of the innocent. So now we need to be more passionate to save babies. Thanks to Preborn, we can do just that. For $28, you can empower a mother to choose life. Once she sees the precious life growing inside of her and hears her baby's heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. And right now, through your match, your gift is doubled. Please give your most generous gift that will go 100% toward life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as we continue to, as conservatives and as Christians, want to get back to the centerpiece of American government and freedom in this country, which is the U.S. Constitution, we also have the First Amendment, which guarantees the freedom of press and freedom of speech. And the new Civil Liberties Alliance has launched a lawsuit against the U.S. State Department funded censorship regime. And so according to their press release yesterday, the U.S. State Department funds the development, testing and marketing of censorship technology used to suppress First Amendment protected speech by conservative media outlets, including the Daily Wire and the Federalist, based on viewpoints expressed in their content. So this new lawsuit uh, that is filed by the NCLA is very uh, promising and actually um, is in tandem with Missouri versus Biden, the case that we've been following with Attorney General Andrew Bailey out of Missouri talking about this whole censorship regime. So Peggy Little, who is a senior litigation counsel at the NCLA, joins me now. So uh, Peggy, this is a a great lawsuit. Uh, Tell us a little bit more in detail about it and uh, what we can expect. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for having me. The lawsuit has to do with the fact that the State Department, which is solely by statute limited to the management of American foreign affairs, has been, through three administrations, engaged in a shocking violation of our First Amendment freedoms of speech and of the press. Specifically, what they have been doing is through the granting of of, um, funding and open money grants, also the use of government tools and technology, uh, they have been working with these news rating organizations, specifically um, NewsGuard and um, the Global Disinformation Index. And what those news or- those ratings organizations do, and they are quite open and they advertise openly about it, they rate news organizations as either reliable or risky with the goal of stepping on the funding of conservative media outlets by saying to advertisers, you should not be advertising with these uh, news programs because uh, you will be, you you are at high risk of um, having advertisers be, uh, you know, drawn away from funding. And so to make it more simple, the State Department is trying to defund, demonetize, and deplatform conservative media outlets using state uh, department taxpayer funding. 
So, so Peggy, what is even their pretense? I mean, this coming from the State Department, because as you rightly point out, they are uh, solely limited to foreign affairs, but this is clearly uh, a, a domestic issue. What is even their pretext for having this kind of kind of disinformation uh, governance regime? There really isn't a pretext when you go into the documents, but I do think there's a history of erosion that's been going on for a long time at state and other federal agencies where they have a certain amount of power or funding, and that then starts to get diverted away from its lawful use into unlawful uses. As I mentioned, it started under Obama, but it was going on straight through the Trump administration, and it, it reached its apogee under the Biden administration, where it became more open. And in their statements of the Global Engagement Center, which is the sort of part of the State Department that manages this unconstitutional and illegal behavior, they talk about um, that their intent is to drive advertisers away from these uh, media uh, news outlets. And if you look at the list, uh, it becomes really obvious and shocking. Uh, the least risky sites they list are, these are the ones that are worthy of advertising dollars. Things like HuffPost or uh, NPR or the New York Times or USA Today, Washington Post, BuzzFeed, oh. etc. ProPublica. If you look at the riskiest sites, the ones that they are trying to work with these news rating organizations to drive advertisers away from, the list of riskiest sites includes the New York Post, Reason Magazine, um, Daily Wire, The Blaze, One America News, The American Conservative, The Federalist, Newsmax, The American Spectator, and Real Clear Politics. And so the, the these are also... Um, some of those uh, on those lists are not particularly biased, um, although there's a libertarian bias, I think, to some, some of them. But that's not the point. The point is the government has absolutely no business regulating where advertisers should be placing their advertising dollars, and yet they do so, and they do so effectively, and they brag about how millions of dollars are driven away from these conservative news sites. Wow. And and this is just so obvious. Uh, Peggy Little, who's the a senior litigation counsel at the new Civil Liberties Alliance, uh, how the contrast is clearly between conservative and right-leaning outlets against the most leftist, uh, liberal, progressive Democrat outlets. I mean, that, that contrast, it's not even like there's a mixture and there's some kind of maybe... Um, you know, some sort of equity here that, that they could potentially argue for. So uh, when they're encouraging that and the State Department is trying to drive away advertisers, um, what is the, the incentive that they provide in terms of getting advertisers to shift? Is it just this heavy-handed kind of recommendation, or is there actually an incentive? Well, I think the, the subtext is if you, your advertising shows up on these websites, um, you know, you will be canceled because the, the information gets out to everyone. And, and we we only have the tip of the iceberg here is all we can see. Uh, I just read to you um, from a list of 20 news outlets and you can see the, the ideological bias 
But according to their own paperwork, they rate thousands of news organizations. And so we think this goes much deeper and much broader, and that you have government bureaucrats um, working with these ratings organizations to um, silence or demonetize news outlets that present viewpoints that do not favor the government's current viewpoints. That's horrific. That's a violation of everything we should believe in in terms of our government and freedom of speech and freedom of the press. It's, it's Orwellian. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And and to have the State Department uh, basically weaponizing uh, true capitalism and to say that advertisers, because this is where these outlets make uh, their their money. And so it's become really difficult. And now there's a very clear explanation why it's so difficult for these conservative outlets to thrive and to actually get uh, enough advertising revenue versus these liberal outlets that seem to just thrive without even really providing that great of content. And, and now we see why. And it should not be the government that is trying to control where advertisers go in a genuinely true free market. And I love what the Daily Wire put out uh, in terms of their comment on this, they said, quote, the Biden administration is illegally funding organizations with the stated goal of financially crippling media outlets whose coverage does not walk in lockstep with the government's ideological agenda. We sued the Biden administration before over its unconstitutional vaccine mandate, and we won. This time we're suing for our rights, all news organizations' rights, and the constitutional guarantee of a free press that all Americans deserve. Uh, that is so well stated. So, um, so what is the um, what is the ask and the prayer for relief in this lawsuit? We want it to stop. We want it halted. We're not seeking damages because that will get us into a long, protracted uh, trial. And the whole point of this is to stop the government from behaving in this illegal and unconstitutional uh, fashion. There are three abuses here. Uh, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and press is is obvious and very well stated by the Daily Wire. There's also an abuse of power in that the State Department has absolutely no statutory authority to regulate or otherwise be involved with the domestic news media. And the third one is money. They have taken government funds and given grants to these organizations, and they have also uh, taken government tools and technology that were developed for military and also foreign affairs purposes, and they show it. They offer it to these news rating organizations and say, we're going to help you develop tools to show you how to um, uh, identify risky news sites. Um, and that's deeply frightening. It's, it's not unlike uh, the image I have is it's like they have their computers and these tools and technology, and they're grabbing them and running them out of the State Department and handing them over to these news rating organizations who have absolutely no business having access to government technology and tools of that nature. But worse yet, the State Department authorities are engaging in misappropriation of funds, and that's a crime. Yeah, and this this is just shocking, I think, how deep this goes and how much we have seen this direct 
uh, attempt by the government. And, and as you said, this isn't just the Biden administration. This has gone all the way back to Obama, carried through the Trump administration. And I mean, do we know why uh, Trump's State Department, even under you know Mike Pompeo, did they did Mike Pompeo just not know this was going on? Do we do we know uh, what was going on at that point that this wasn't stopped during the Trump administration? This is where the work uh, that one of my colleagues, Janine Eunice, working along with the uh, attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, this this really came out in the Missouri v. Biden and some of the Twitter files and Facebook files that were coming out, you know, just within the last year or so. This was surreptitious. Um, This is what happens when you have entrenched uh, government employees that are accountable to no one, and they... uh, basically decide that they're going to take these government resources and use them in a political and illegal fashion. And I doubt that Secretary Pompeo had any idea this was going on by these career employees at the State Department. Wow. And this is exactly why, uh, Peggy Little, so many conservatives are calling for the next president to truly drain the swamp, which is the deep state. These are the the career bureaucrats that are not accountable to anyone and certainly not accountable to uh, a current administration that are doing things like this. And uh, this is a lawsuit that's been filed uh, now in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas. So this is not out of D.C. And I hope that that is a better forum uh, for this to be litigated. And uh, so, and you mentioned the attorneys general in Louisiana and Missouri, but then also in, in Texas, uh, is Ken Paxton helping uh, with this suit as well? Absolutely, because the state is also a sovereign under our form of government. And the state of Texas was deeply disturbed to learn of this conduct. Uh, and it is protecting its uh, rights um, of freedom uh, to uh, to be able to speak in its own uh, fashion through news outlets that are being defunded by their coordinate branch, the federal government. And uh, they also have a, a duty to protect their citizens' civil rights. And so we're, we are very blessed to have the state of Texas interested in this. This is a very deep-seated and widespread problem. It goes beyond the State Department into colleges and universities that are engaging in disinformation campaigns. And the New Civil Liberties Alliance, where I work, is very interested in pursuing all of these violations of American civil liberties. Well, and I'm very grateful uh, for your work. And the NCLA is a, a nonprofit civil rights group. And we're very grateful for your work. You can find more about the New Civil Liberties Alliance at nclalegal.org. You can also read more about this lawsuit. And uh, this is just, you know, as Peggy Little said, the tip of the iceberg in terms of accountability for the deep state having uh, this kind of litigation that continues. Um, We will be praying for this and for your success. And uh, Peggy, I really appreciate you joining today and for all of the hard work. Uh, We need more lawyers that are doing this kind of work. And I'm very grateful for attorneys general like Ken Paxton and uh, like uh, Andrew Bailey and and then previously Jeff Landry, who's now the governor of uh, Louisiana. And I'm grateful for conservatives who actually want to hold the deep state accountable. We need more of this. So go to nclalegal.org and we'll be back tomorrow morning with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.